You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. ABC Tonight. Special Agent Will Trent. Judge Bureau Investigation. I told him I'd bring my best. Will sees things that no one else does. Based on the New York Times bestselling series. But why Will Trent? He's good police and he's objectively hot. See crime. Put out an Amber Alert. There's a kidnapping. Through his eyes. He read that crime scene like it was a book. Ramon Rodriguez is. I'm a pretty observant guy. Will Trent. Series premiere tonight, tonight central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hey, and welcome to Fan Theory Queries, where we analyze fan theories from all over the internet, but mostly Reddit. I'm Laura. I'm Michael. And I'm Spencer. And I'm going to start off the show with my theory of the episode that I've chosen for everybody. Uh, Let's talk about a little old show called Gilligan's Island. Uh, Did you guys watch Scoot? I loved that show. Did you guys watch that TV land? My my mom was a big fan of it, so it was mm-hmm. kind of always on, and I I would watch it from time to time, mm-hmm. but eventually it got to the point where it's just too corny for me. Oh, Honestly, I, I don't the remember being inventions. I don't remember being drawn into it that much. It's in it was my like the day. OG lost. I know you're not that much younger than me, but before TV land, it was Nick at Night. <laughs> Yep. That's what I meant to say is Nick at Night. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. TV Land was its own say. channel. That's right. That's Nick right. at Night was Nick at Night. You're right. what happened on Nickelodeon at night. Why? Mm-hmm. Why did they choose on Nickelodeon? Like, you know, they had Nick Jr. in the morning, the Nickelodeon during the day. And then now we're going to play shows from like 30 years ago, 40 years ago. What? I don't know. Why did <laughs> and they started I don't playing get it. Friends, didn't they? Wasn't that funny? Anyway, let's talk about more theory. Uh, yes. This is from there. This theory you can find in several places. I actually didn't find this one directly from Reddit, but the author from this particular website is Joseph Rosenberg, and the website is like ttlf.tripod.com. It's an old website from the 90s, probably. But the <laughs> title of the theory is The Seven Deadly Sins of Gilligan's Island. The seven deadly sins of Gilligan's Island theory is quite simple. Each of the seven characters on the island represents each of the seven deadly sins. Now, this theory seems to fit upon initial inspection. There are technical difficulties when you get down to the man himself, Gilligan. Now, run with me on this one. The professor, one, most obvious is the professor, who fits pride to a T. Any man who can make a ham radio out of some wire and two coconuts has to be very pretty cocky. His character was later revised and given a series of his own called MacGyver. (laughs) Farm Girl 2. For the sin of envy, we need look no further than Mary Ann, who may have worn those skimpy little tops but could never achieve Ginger's glamour. As an interesting and completely irrelevant side note, a nationwide survey of college students a few years ago revealed that the professor and Mary Ann were voted most likely couple to have, well, you know, on the island. Goodness. One hot tamale. Three. And who could doubt for a moment that Ginger is lust incarnate? Sure, the kids were supposed to think she was acting, but we all know what being deprived episode after episode was doing to her. You know and I know that glazed look wasn't boredom, my friends. (laughs) Mr. Howell, four. What kind of person takes a trunk full of money on a three-hour cruise? Mr. Howell gets my vote for greed. We are now left with three characters and three deadly sins. We have Gilligan, the Skipper, and Mrs. Howell, to whom we must match gluttony, sloth, and anger. As you can see, there is a Gilligan problem here. Five, certainly we can further eliminate Mrs. Howell from this equation by connecting her with sloth. She did nothing during her many years on the island, and everybody knows it. Mm -hmm. Six and seven. This leaves anger and gluttony, either of which the skipper had no shortage. He was, after all, a big guy with the tendency to hit Gilligan with his hat at least once an episode. After much consideration, I have decided that he can easily do double duty covering the two remaining deadly sins. So, here we have the seven deadly sins trapped in an endlessly recurring hell of hope followed by denial and despair, forced to live with each other in our TVs until the last rerun ends. And who is their captor? What keeps them trapped there? Gilligan, Satan, Satan, Faust. Gilligan is Satan. Think about it. <laughs> so that's the theory. 
Okay. <laughs> well, while while you um, when you were reading the first bit about the professor, I happened to open that link to that website. Holy smokes, that looks mm-hmm. like what was it? There was some place where you could build your own website before MySpace when we were younger, mm-hmm. and I can't remember what it was called. But oh. I mean, like you made your own website, you had the backgrounds and all this stuff, and you had a guest mm-hmm. book, and you had people sign your guest book. Oh, I can't Not remember Zanga, what it was. Right? Right. <laughs> no, I didn't use Zanga, but yeah, anyway. I went and looked at that website, dude. That is so old. So yeah, like I said, yeah, there are variations for a of while. this. Yeah, there are variations of this, but they all pretty much, some will go to the lengths of saying that Gilligan was Satan, especially because he's always foiling everything and he's always wearing red. Um, mm-hmm. But some will mm-hmm. actually will give him sloth and then give Mrs. Howell something else. I forget, but maybe she was gluttony. Probably I gluttony because uh, I I, you can't not give the skipper anger. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's true. So, Michael, do you feel like... Each of these characters has enough of a differentiation in their portrayals in the script to believably represent a single deadly sin. So I would say the last time that I actually watched this, I was probably about six, maybe. So it's been a while. Um, (laughs) I don't remember a lot about the show. But from what I remember... I would say, yes, that's actually probably pretty accurate as far as them representing the seven deadly sins and the ones mm-hmm. that, that were chosen in the actual theory, too. I feel like that represents mm-hmm. represents each character pretty well. So, okay, so yeah. let's clear. Let's clarify this theory. I think what we're saying is what this what the general idea is that the creator of the show intended for these characters to represent the seven deadly sins and to kind of be like a, a commentary on that and how they play out on an island. So let's just kind of clarify that. Laura, what are you mm-hmm. thinking? So does that sound even, Oh, sorry, go ahead. Even if you're not like an avid watcher or it's been a long time since you've watched it or like me, I mean, it's so easy with Gilligan's Island to just have like a general knowledge about the show just because it was yeah. in the zeitgeist and it, and I mean, I, I know exactly each of those character tropes because it was such a common thing in writing for TV shows of that day that you had those tropes. And yeah, this author, this this person who, Joseph, J-O-S-E-F. So that's a fancy Joseph. Um, <laughs> he pinned each of those tropes to the seven deadly sins, which I mean, mm-hmm. I think there's good ground in that, but that just comes from like, TV writing from the day, I think. So, <laughs> so I think Archie Bunker is clearly anger. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. What would Edith um, be? Hmm. Annoying. I don't know. But you're right. I mean, I think when it comes to sitcoms of the day, especially, it seems like there's a lot of stock characters being repeated here and there because it worked for the time. So we have to determine is, was it just simply a stock character thing? Or is there more to it? Is there a deeper level? Unfortunately, we don't have any commentary from comments to the theory. But in my looking for like more versions of this theory, I came across some interesting details. Well, share. I will. These are bombshells here, folks. (laughs) All right. So first thing I came across was a link to this article from uh, NPR. So Gilligan's Island was created by Sherwood Schwartz. Hmm, and classic. this quote shocked me. Years after the show ended, its creator, Sherwood Schwartz, admitted that each of the characters represented one of the seven deadly sins. No Bride, way. The professor, mm. anger, skipper, lust, ginger, and the rest. Gilligan was supposed to be sloth. Okay. Oh. Okay. Hmm. Ready? Yeah. Okay. In a 2001 interview with TVParty.com, Sherwood Swartz, or the interviewer, says, How did you decide on seven as the magic number for the characters? Sherwood Swartz. I don't know. A lot of people have written to me saying they understand that's the seven deadly sins. That was never in my mind, but they've explained it to me. It could have been eight. It could have been six. I couldn't see 12 people. So in that interview, he says, no. And I was confused. And then I saw that one of the sources for his quoting that, it was 
The Seven Deadly Sins was a book that he wrote. And inside the book, because I was looking for a quote, I was like, there has to be a quote of him actually saying this thing. Because everyone and almost all of these theories that I found, they are citing him as saying he based these characters on the seven deadly sins. So mm-hmm. here is where the translation gets messed up. In this okay. book that he wrote, so he's talking to his wife about the concept of the show. He's basically saying that he wants the p- people to be like an allegory. And But he said, I'm glad I didn't say, this is an actual quote from the book. I'm glad I didn't say allegory in the meeting. Then says something else occurred to him before adding to his wife. And I'm glad I didn't say the castaways were symbolic of the seven deadly sins. Note, at no point in the book does he claim an actual link between the characters of the seven deadly sins, not where he describes the birth concept, nor anywhere else. It's only mentioned in passing during the one conversation with his wife. One further piece of evidence is I watched one more interview with him in 2010. He says, I don't know why I fixed on a number seven, but that's what I did. In his okay. hmm. deepening of his uh, explanation, he said, basically, these people were supposed to be representative of different types of people. They just basically happened to represent the seven deadly sins. Hmm. So real quick, I'll say while you were looking that up, I looked and unfortunately, Mr. Schwartz is no longer with us. He passed in 2011. Mm -hmm. But he was, from what I could tell on that timeline, 2001, he would have been 84 years old. So, I mean, some people, they're doing great at that age. That was going to be my question. Yeah. Mm people that's what when he said that that interview was in 2001 where he was going uh-huh. what seven deadly sins i was like he's an old man yeah <laughs> okay yeah. so we have some information whether it's reliable or not from the mm-hmm. source himself and we have dozens of websites across the internet oh i saved the best thing for last i'm sorry i forgot about this after this we're going to guys we're gonna have to go to lifeway.com and get Gilligan's Island and the Seven Deadly Sins DVD Leader Guide. There's a Bible no. study. No. Based on oh, this. No. You're is. joking. I'm not. Oh, Did you know that the creator of Gilligan's Island said that he based seven castaways on the seven deadly sins? In this study, there are seven sessions. Each session takes approximately an hour to complete. But yeah, basically, they go through the seven deadly sins. <laughs> like no. a character analysis to learn about the seven deadly sins. In this Bible that study, is nuts. It's by that's hilarious. Jim Howell, Judy Northcutt, Gartner, and Stephen <laughs> Skelton. Wow, it's almost like it Out could be a VBS Vacation Bible School theme. Seriously, <laughs> I bet it probably is. So yeah, yeah on Amazon, on Amazon for that Bible study, it has five reviews and it's got a four point seven. Whoa, <laughs> not bad. But then on ChristianBook.com, okay. it's got four reviews and it's got a 2.5. So, okay, yeah. yeah. I, I can't I believe that that blows my mind. Oh, my gosh. Somebody. I know. Isn't that fascinating? <laughs> that. You, were, you were right. That was the best for last. <laughs> okay. So, we have some thoughts. We've got some details. We've got some bizarre Bible studies. I think mm-hmm. I have enough information in my brain to formulate a rating of this theory what about y'all yeah i I think think i'm there yeah okay michael why don't you explain our rating scale real quick the highest rating that we have is genius this is reserved only for the best theories which we believe are better than the actual canon the next step down is plausible it's a good theory you know it's believable the next is unlikely not a terrible theory but like the name says pretty unlikely and then last thing is preposterous. These are the theories that are just stupid. Basically, we're all dumber for having listened to them. Laura, why don't we start with you? Okay, I'm going to say this is preposterous. <laughs> the old man had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sherwood Schwartz, I have so much respect for you. I mean, what you the contributions that that man had for television and and the things that we do now for three camera comedies and stuff like that, like, yes, he mm-hmm. did a huge thing for the world. But, I mean, you have to be a little bit nutty also to go for that. And I think he was full on crazy. And <laughs> <laughs> this, this, I don't think he even knew what he was doing, apparently. It kind of sounds like he admits no. that. So I'm going to go with the preposterous on this one. <laughs> All right, Michael, what about you? 
Um, this may come as a shocker, but I am also going preposterous. It's just okay. <laughs> it's for the same reasons Laura cited. It's just <laughs> kind of ridiculous. <laughs> okay, it's not genius. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm gonna say unlikely, and the reason why I'm not going straight to preposterous is because you know we kind of talked about this a little bit back whenever we talked about the friends theory where they developed the character of Joey kind of inadvertently as this character that has ADHD. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's kind of what happened here is he wasn't intentionally creating these characters to be represent representative of the seven deadly sins. But I think that that's just, you have these tropes that just happen to, I mean, there's always in comedies, not always, but there's, you know, there's a, a uh, token seductress person is there, right? Yeah. <laughs> but someone's Very always lazy. Person. Yeah. Yep. So those just happen to be the seven deadly sins, I guess. And as far as Gilligan being Satan, then I would say that that is preposterous. But yeah, that's that's where I'm gonna land on that. Unlikely, kind of accidentally. Okay. Doing that thing. So that's all I got. Cool. So Laura, Michael. Have y'all ever had someone completely change your life by introducing you to something super cool and amazing that you probably would have never come across if it were not for that person? Yes, for me, it was back in 2008 when you introduced yourself to me. And for me, it was back around 2016 or so when Laura introduced me to you, Spencer. And you both have clearly had a life like no other thanks to me. Yes, like no other. And so, dear listener, you can have the same impact on someone's life by introducing them to fan theory queries, where they will not only be positively affected by me and my vocal presence, but also by my two fantastic co-hosts who have also been known to change people's lives. In other words, do a good work, tell the world about our show, and you will probably go to heaven for it. Let me guess, you wrote this bit while your ADHD medication was at its peak effectiveness, right? Absolutely. So the next theory is from Yellow Flash 986, and that's that in the Marvel movie Endgame. It's about the reason that Tony had to die, basically. So the user says, and bear with me on this, there's a lot of typos and things, so I'm going to read it as it is. So just prepare yourselves. (laughs) (laughs) I am prepared. So it says... I'm sure we all thought that Doctor Strange could have done more in the in-game battle to defeat Thanos, and since Thanos didn't have the Infinity Gauntlet, at least in the beginning of the battle, Strange or any other wizard could have easily neutralized Thanos by trapping him and his army in the Mirror Dimension, from which Thanos broke out in their battle on Titan by using the Power Stone. So we know it makes perfect sense in Doylist perspective to kill Tony, (laughs) but any... uh, I don't know, that's what they put. Doylist. If anybody knows what that is, let me know. Uh, Perspective to kill Tony, but any other character could have snapped away Thanos, granted they are willing to die for it, and there are characters like Drax who would be happy to do so, and it's not like someone had to snap away the army and kill themselves in the process to defeat Thanos. And it's fairly possible that the Avengers could have managed to defeat him manually, albeit with a lot more casualties. So, (laughs) why... (laughs) So why did Strange direct Tony alone to do the ultimate sacrifice, implying it is the only one, only way they can win? It is because Tony will be way too overpowered if he survived the in-game battle, and he would become the cause for even more conflicts in the near future. I mean, think about it. He would have time travel tech after in-game, and they just defeated a Thanos from a different timeline. He would reacquire his ego slash paranoia to protect Earth, which he somewhat lost after getting defeated, destroyed by Thanos slash Thanos death would probably develop an even clearer God complex now that he has time travel tech. He would probably mess with other timelines or do something like setting up his own version of Illuminati. Hank Pym would deny him Pym particles, but Tony probably manages to make them on his own, which should be relatively easy for him, especially since he had already worked with them. Not to mention, there will be another civil war if other Avengers find out what he is trying to do. Also, imagine if he manages to make an Infinity Gauntlet, which could be safely wielded, wielded, 
as how they spelled it, <laughs> by a human. And he can actually become some kind of god in their universe. And one could argue that Tony, uh, that the Tony we see in the end games, values his family way too much to turn himself into someone like that or even care all that much about Avengers stuff. But then again, he also managed to make Edith for Peter before his demise. Too long didn't read. Strange lets Tony die in the end game because Tony with the time travel tech would be way too powerful and attracts even more trouble if he remained alive after the end game. First off, I love how they keep calling it the end game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Instead a proper of Avengers end game. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I do have a few thoughts on this. Before we get to you, Spencer, though, I, I want to hear from Lara and see what she has to say. I'm curious about when this theory was written because looking at it through a multiverse of madness lens mm-hmm. all i can think is okay so he denies tony the chance to mess up other worlds and ends up messing other worlds himself right yeah yeah it says it was written one month ago may 13th uh yeah so this guy i don't know i mean, he... I mean this <laughs> yeah <laughs> this theory mm... Hmm. I, okay, so wh- where are you at? Like, why, why are you having trouble forming sentences? I think it's just that that's what's confounding me is. So he, this guy has, he had to have seen Multiverse of Madness before he wrote this. Because I understand okay. after we watched Multiverse of Madness, a lot of people started coming out being like, why did Doctor Strange only agree to that one time, that one solution because surely mm-hmm. there were right. other ways to win but yeah. he only he only wanted the one where tony died so and this I'm person is saying that's that. because tony would be too powerful right well didn't dr strange end up being a little too powerful and ruining people ruining other worlds like what this guy's writing about well, also i'm a little curious the, as well argument. about about the setting up his own version of the illuminati i thought that our earth's Doctor or or uh, Iron Man was on the Illuminati, no. or am I wrong? That no. was a different Iron Man, wasn't it? No, there was no Iron Man. There it was, was no Iron Man. Doctor Strange, not in that movie. I know Spice, the in, original in the comics, Illuminati. In the comics, yes, Tony Stark is is one of the founding members of the Illuminati. Exactly on our that, Earth. Yes. So maybe this person is discounting comics because I was like, but that's what he did. He did join yeah. the Illuminati. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I think this person is basing this solely on the movie Endgame. Okay. I, mean, I, I completely understand what he's saying. He's saying that Doctor Strange and his pride is thinking that he knows everything because that's what we've seen. And that's a, a characteristic part of his quote unquote journey in Multiverse of Madness of him being the one to always having to hold the knife, so to speak. But at this point in time, he thinks, okay, I know what's right. And I can see, oh, Tony, I don't, we don't want Tony getting out of control. He's not thinking about himself. And so like, I'm just, I'm not saying I agree with this, but this is, I under, I completely understand what this guy is saying because he could start the Illuminati. And if he did, if he's the super powerful Tony Stark, he could put the wrong evil people in this Illuminati. Who knows? So what you're saying is Dr. Strange saw it more as I can handle the responsibility Tony can't. No, not necessarily. I just saw it as if if we're saying this the whole idea and we believe that Dr. Strange only sees one possibility that works, he sees that the only way this works is if Tony is the one that does the sacrifice. Because if someone else does the sacrifice, Tony will go on to live and become an evil threat to everybody. Okay. He doesn't think of He'll himself as being to a threat to everybody. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So I think that this should actually be approached on an even more astral, like broad level. I don't think we should focus on the fact that it's Tony. I think that Dr. Strange is probably seeing this as almost kind of like a butterfly effect. Like if, if it's not, this one specific person at this one specific time, it could have been anybody, but it just happened to be Tony in this timeline that if it doesn't happen like this, then all of the other stuff that happens after this is not going to play out the exact same way. And it could potentially lead to even worse 
things happening. Maybe maybe it's Tony doing all the stuff that this this user explained. Maybe it's just somebody completely different. But it but the because Tony didn't die, it completely changed the the timeline. And I mean, not to get like too in depth or cosmic about it, but like it just like I said, the butterfly effect. Just one little thing can change the entire course of the future. And I think that's the way that Dr. Strange was actually approaching it. I don't know if he was necessarily thinking specifically, oh, Tony's going to probably have his ego come back and, and turn evil. But instead, like I saw this is Tony killing himself or sacrificing himself to, to do the snap. And this is the outcome, the one outcome where we were able to defeat Thanos. So that's that's kind of the way I'm seeing it. But we do have a couple of comments that I want to read through before we start making final decisions on this. So this one is from Seven Ryan Eight Hours. I don't know what they're trying to do with that, but they say the quantum GPS tech is most definitely still alive in the MCU. I would guess there will be a lot more threats who would slash could potentially still use it. So um, they're saying that the, the one point to this person is saying that Tony had to die says it doesn't matter because someone's going to get their hand on it anyway. Yeah, that's that's essentially what they're saying. But okay. for me, if I were going to perceive Tony as a threat, it wouldn't just be the the time travel technology. Mm-hmm. Like he essentially created Ultron. Like there's so many different things that he could potentially do and create that would be dangerous for the world. Mm-hmm. So I I don't really it doesn't really matter to me whether it's just that one thing or not. But well, and um, isn't the quantum GPS tech a pretty similar to the tech that the TVA uses. I I don't know if they Which really was developed by Kane. Okay. Yeah, it's it's similar stuff. I don't know if it's the same exact technology, but it's a similar concept essentially. Right. Okay, so this this next comment is from Five Nations 54. Uh, they say the character development of Tony Stark tells the opposite story of what you're trying to make the argument for. But the character development alone is not the only reason why his sacrifice meant something. From the time of Iron Man to Endgame, he went through stages of personality development. The culmination of Tony Stark's character development resulted in his death because when he saw Strange hold up his finger, he knew in that moment that he was the one who was meant to. It was the ultimate sacrifice to disregard ego and embrace humility, to give up his life to save the billions of others. Why did it have to be him? Perhaps out of all the futures that Strange saw, he saw the one where Tony Stark's ambition was no longer a clear and present danger to the world that allowed him to defeat the threat of Thanos and diminish the influence Stark would have otherwise had if he stayed alive, probably resulting in more villains being created, even though they did, Mysterio specifically. It's very Mm -hmm. possible that if Tony Stark had stayed alive, he may have caused a lot more harm than good. And then we have one last comment who kind of takes it in the opposite direction. The user's name is maybe Tom Bombadil, which I absolutely love and Tolkien yes. fans out there unite. Yes. So he <laughs> says, honestly, in universe, uh, there was no reason Tony had to die. Thank Captain you. Marvel could have flown off with the gauntlet. They didn't need to immediately get to the van. In fact, <laughs> doing so without proper planning would have destabilized the timelines. Further, had Tony stopped to think, he would have remembered he has an army of orbital drones that he could have deployed to mop up the bad guys, as seen in Spider-Man Far From Home. His communication network is already established to work all the way in near orbit in Infinity War, so he just needed to identify targets and serve as a forward observation platform until Friday identified all friends from foes. With Thanos' ship destroyed, Wanda could have returned to kill him and continue a rampage. Or like everyone's favorite online idea, Ant-Man could have shrunk a pebble, shrunk into a pebble, flew it, flew it in Thanos' digestive system, and then crew them made it the size of a boulder. Okay. What Tom Bombadil's trying to say is that Ant-Man shrinks yeah. down really small, flies up Thanos' butt, and then gets big again yes. and explodes. Why does that yes. be his butt? <laughs> he could have gone down his nose. Yes, I had I agree. Yes. But or as long as he gets but... inside of him. And, and it expands, could, you know. the, the same effect happens. Anyway, they continue. Tony's death was narratively predetermined by movie contracts. The fact Bingo. is, RDJ is contractually required to be paid more for each successive appearance. The longer a character role occurs, the more money it's worth to the performers. There's no character reason or motivation for his death. And in fact, his death is pretty selfish. 
He only cooperated in order to protect the life of his daughter. The comics have well identified that the Infinity Gauntlet as being capable of resetting the timeline to the exact moment of the previous snap. It is mm. literally a deus ex machina MacGuffin. Tony is shown to be impulsive and rushing into rushing headlong into danger, but he's also shown to be a planner and a person who thinks on his feet with the resources he has available. Mm-hmm. In each of his movies, that's how he defeats the big bad at the end. There's multiple moments where he had time to take a breath and plan his ne- next move during the battle, and he never does. That's poor writing, although the movie is pretty good at getting you to suspend your disbelief so you're not noticing it. Not everyone. Okay. So with all that said, yeah. So with all that said, does do any of those comments change the way you guys were thinking or what you had said before? Um, it completely supports what I was thinking. Okay. What you've always thought since we saw Endgame. <laughs> well, okay. So we're not... Side note. We're going to discuss this theory and this theory alone. If you'd like yeah. to hear more discussion about me and all problems i have with endgame you can become a patron we have a patreon now and we're going to have bonus (laughs) content such as spencer grumpy spencer's grievances and i will complain (laughs) about things and these people will make fun of me for complaining about them Uh, you can access those by pledging five dollars a month patreon.com slash fan theory cues anyway so this theory (laughs) this theory i will say i mean it's it's true about the contracts each each film that he appears in where he is a central character. So like he got paid the same in spot in uh, Spider-Man homecoming that he did in infinity war. He got paid the same mm-hmm. amount for those, but it was because he wasn't the central character. And it's true. His, it, it increases exponentially. That's written in the contract when you first sign. And so I agree with that, but at the same time, maybe Tom Bombadil, I mean, I felt the same way about like, if we're talking about Captain Marvel being the mightiest hero, why why didn't she take care of it? Or Wanda, we've seen now how incredibly powerful she she is. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't she have fixed the whole? I mean, the what what she did the Black Bolt, we couldn't have done something along those lines to Thanos, really. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> and I know people are going to come at me with, well, she wasn't in touch with the real Scarlet Witch yet. She had to go through the Westview Hex fiasco in order to become, the, to get to that power. Okay, then I'll give you that one. But Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel should have had this locked down. The way that she came through and destroyed the ship all on her own. Come on. As much as I dislike Captain Marvel's character for the same reasons that I kind of dislike Superman. She's just way too powerful in my opinion. So is Superman. Mm. But I have to admit that like that you're right. There's no reason why she couldn't have just flown off with the gauntlet and not get touched just long enough for them to take out Thanos some way, you know? Yep. It was just it came down to I don't want to dig on the writers because they did a fantastic job with the rest of the I movie. Do. Like I I I loved <laughs> Honestly, I loved Endgame. I thought it was so much fun, and so, I I want to support it. But that's I would say if there's one thing that they miss, that they probably just had to find a solution for just to make it more slash or uh, air quotes entertaining. I think that that's where they they missed an opportunity. But so I'm not going to fault the franchise for Robert Downey Jr. basically maxing out the money that they can pay him that happens that happens in other franchises so like that's not a flaw the flaw is how it was dealt with i'm going to criticize the writing i'm not i didn't write the movie so it's not my responsibility to find a solution but it is my responsibility to pick it apart and i will one day but the as far as keeping it into this theory i think this person really nails the head the what a, a lot of my argument and a problem with this movie comes down to is the whole time travel thing. But this, the comics have well identified the Infinity Gauntlet as being capable of resetting the timeline to the exact moment of the previous snap as literally a deus ex machina MacGuffin. We don't have to talk about Captain Marvel blowing up a spaceship. If Hulk can mm-hmm. use the Infinity Gauntlet and snap right back to whatever. Yeah. So that's the thing. But as far as this this theory goes, I there is there is no reason for Tony to die. 
They have not established a reason for that. In fact, I was angry that Tony died because he did go through a ton of character development over the franchise. He finally was happy. He finally had a family. He had a daughter. And then they kill him. Yeah. That made me mad. I, I'm completely on the opposite side of you <laughs> with this. I was so happy that Tony died. I wanted him to die a lot longer before this. I and maybe he honestly, could have. maybe that should have been the after, solution. After Iron Man one, I could not stand his character for the entire rest of his existence in the MCU. He just became unbearable to, unbearable well, to me and yeah, he was too it, arrogant and I, I hated his ego and just like he had some funny snarky moments. Mm-hmm. That was it. Like er- everything else about him was super annoying to me. Don't, yeah. Don't misunderstand. I don't, I'm not a fan of the character either, but as far as what they did and over the journey that he had, again, I'm not saying that I was sad that Iron Man died. I'm, I'm sad for the situation that was created that this man that has been through a lot finally did get kind of what he wanted. A and family. Now we'll take it all away. And we'll take it all away. Yeah. Well, um, that's and all these other people, all these other people who don't have those things and have admitted that I'll never get that. Mm-hmm. Nope. We're not going to sacrifice any of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, uh, but, and it doesn't make it even that bigger of a sacrifice for me. Oh, well, he had a family, but he put that aside for the greater good of everybody. Like that, that doesn't work for me. But, you know, Tony has everything at his disposal. We've, we've talked about. There, there, there really is. There's absolutely no reason other than the fact that he was being paid too much money. Yeah. And they did not do a good job of explaining that in the writing of the movie. Maybe they should have seen it coming. Maybe he should have, like you said, we should have killed him off whenever everybody still hated him. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. I um, think he should have died in Civil War, personally. But yeah, like you could, you could make the argument with Endgame, or not Endgame, but Infinity War even, where... Honestly, nobody had to die if Star Lord had just held his oh, don't, don't, stuff together. Oh, don't you do that? Don't. I love Star Lord. He's one of my favorite characters, and I it hates. I, I hated that they made his character do that because it's we don't want kind of that. his fault that they got in the situation they were in in Endgame. If he could have just mm-hmm. kept his cool for like thirty seconds longer, done. It there is. wouldn't have been any issues. Absolutely. But that's another instance Literally. where writers create stupid situations just so they can have more to write about. Mm-hmm. And I, that's one thing that I absolutely hate in any franchise is whenever mm-hmm. they, they make characters do stupid things just for the sake of creating situations and problems where they can keep things going. Like, come up yeah. with a more creative way of making it happen. No, it was like... It literally is responsible for this for the disappearing of half the popula- population oh, yeah. of the Earth. Yep, is him. And there's and you're right. Nobody ever he, says anything about it. Nope. Exactly. And He's never he faced any repercussions. Would not have done that. He would not have done that. Yeah. I don't care. I know he's made out to be a a, a goof, whatever. With those well, stakes, I believe he would not have done that. Yeah. And like you and said, love, they, love will make you do stupid things, but. Like sacrifice half of the entire universe? No, no. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Sorry, um, that was enough of a tangent. I think we should probably boys, wrap, wrap boys. this one up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I don't want to rate this one first since it was my theory. Um, I'll, I'll go first. Go I don't first. have any problems. Yeah. Do it. I go for it. I, th- I think this is preposterous in every sense of the word. There is no reason. This says the reason Tony had to die. No, that this is not why he had to die. He did not have to die. If he had survived Endgame, who knows? I mean, he could have gone mm-hmm. on. He had a family to live for. Um, he had mm-hmm. tech, sure, but so does everybody. Everybody can become a villain. Strange, Wanda. I mean, you can use that argument for almost anybody. Not almost anybody, but many people. So I don't know what Strange was smoking whenever he saw this, this vision, that this was the only way. But he most certainly did not see a future where Tony became so powerful because he survived endgame preposterous smack my stamp i'm gonna agree that it's preposterous and we're gonna riff on some of the points that you were talking about spencer of like we've already seen the character change we have seen tony change that he is not that person anymore that he wouldn't become what this what the author was talking about the author of this theory including that when we can find him in endgame he's a 
living like a recluse almost with his family. I mean, he is focused 100% on his family. So I just don't see him using tech in a bad way. And saying that he did it selfishly to protect his daughter, I'm sorry. If I'm going to be selfish, I'm actually going to save myself yeah. in order to be with my daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This the person must not be of, a parent. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of the opposite definition of being selfish. Selfish mm-hmm. is about exactly. yourself, not for others. Mm-hmm. That's right. selfless. Yes. Exactly. But that's what I was thinking when you read that. So I'm going to agree. This is preposterous. So I've bounced in between two different ratings throughout this whole thing. And I, I honestly am still not 100% sure where I land. You know what? I've got to give it preposterous yeah. as well. I was I was between unlikely and preposterous, but it just it's just enough to edge the needle over into preposterous territory for me. For pretty much all the reasons that you guys listed, I just mm-hmm. think it's kind of ridiculous. And plus, having to read what this guy wrote made me feel dumber. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Seriously. Yes. It hurt my brain. All right. Well, yeah. I have a quick question for you. Speaking of preposterous, Spencer, are you more yes. of a Mickey Mouse guy or a Bugs Bunny guy? Oh, mm. Bugs Bunny all the way. Hands down. No contest. And what about you, Michael? Ooh, I don't know. This is a tough one because, see, I... I grew up with both of them. I uh, was introduced to Mickey at an earlier age. Great. Well, but... thanks for that, Michael. I think it's time for a message break. No, it's time for me to read my theory. No, Lara. Message break. No. Theory. Message break. Theory. Message break. Theory. Message break. Theory. Theory. Message break. Ha! So you agree. Time for a quick message break, everyone. We'll be right back. You're despicable. would you like to challenge your little grey cells while reveling in the vintage perfection of David Suchet's Poirot? If so, then the Labours of Hercule podcast was made for you. We're taking a deep dive into every episode of this masterpiece of television and giving you the clues you need to solve the case along with Poirot himself. We present the case and you solve it. Whether you're a detective in the making... Or if you just simply want to gush over the genius and art decodence of Agatha Christie... Then subscribe now to the labors of Hercule wherever you get your podcasts. Hey Matt, did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope, never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here, too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra themed content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's triviality. Okay, and we're back. And I'm going to take us in a totally different direction from all of the stuff we've been talking about with deadly sins <laughs> and why did Tony have to sacrifice his life? And my theory comes from Looney to. Tunes. <laughs> mm, yes. Mine's from Looney cleanser. Tunes. This is Daffy Duck has brain damage. Oh, no. <laughs> Not a palate cleanser. This is sad. <laughs> from Braden Best. <laughs> Who hurt okay, you, so Braden? In- <laughs> Brayden had a lot of time on their hands. <laughs> so in the 1938 short Daffy Duck and Egghead, one of Daffy's first appearances, Daffy decides to sing a song explaining his origin story. The song is none other than The Merry-Go-Round Broke Down, which the tune of is then carried out through Mary or not Merry Melodies, but Looney Tunes as the theme song of the show that you always hear whenever it starts up. Mm-hmm. You'll recognize the tune here. Here we go. The lyrics reveal a tragic backstory. My name is Daffy Duck. I worked on a merry-go-round. The job was swell. I did quite well till the merry-go-round broke down. The guy that worked with me was a horse with a lavender eye. Around in whirls, we winked at girls till the merry-go-round broke down. Then he plays a flute 
And I kind of like to pretend like it's in the style of Lizzo and he's twerking at the same time. And it kind of <laughs> is. If you watch the cartoon, you can find it on YouTube. Okay. <laughs> Up and down and round it we sped. That dizzy pace soon went to my head. Now you know why I'm dizzy and do the things I do. I am askew and you'd be too if the merry-go-round broke down. If the merry-go-round broke down. <laughs> well done. Thank you. Beautiful. Bravo. Thank you. I like that we have the flavor text or like the description of the cartoon included in here. When he's holding out the note for broke, his neck stretches out really long so that, you know, n- normal, modern Daffy has a white line around his neck. Mm-hmm. But in the classic cartoon, so in the in 38, he had a blue line and his neck stretches mm-hmm. out so much that there's like 10 different blue lines on his neck. <laughs> All right. So coming off of that, uh, this implies that Daffy is, quote unquote, screwy because of a past head injury. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, he worked at a carnival and was in charge of the merry-go-round. Business must have been slow that day because he and his co-worker, the horse with the lavender eye, decided to take it for a joyride and flirt with passersby. But just then, the ride had a malfunction and sped out of control, and Daffy was never the same. (laughs) Daffy Duck is a victim of careless workplace conditions. (laughs) Osha. Osha. Somebody call Toby. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty much every incarnation of Daffy has a screw loose, whether it manifests in his, quote, bounce away and hoot routine. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. classic. I haven't seen that in a while. Which the OP is attributing to a possible Tourette's syndrome, which which incidentally Mm. can be brought on by head trauma. Or being, quote, not quite there, as in the Looney Tunes show. In his Looney Looney Tunes show incarnation... He's not stupid. He's intelligent, but has a short attention span, short-term memory problems, and has trouble communicating, often not quite comprehending what other people are saying or making wild assumptions and being completely shocked when he finds out that they weren't actually on the same page. So ADHD. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And whatever happened to the horse? I've never seen a horse with purple eyes in any Looney Tunes short. If Daffy survived the accident and came out of it with a trauma-induced neurological disorder, maybe his co-worker has fared worse. (laughs) 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 Daffy's lucky to be alive. (laughs) That's great. Oh, I love these kinds of fan theories that Mm. people take what could... I mean, theoretically, I mean, it should be a very simple thing and dwell on it and dwell on it to the point that they come up with this and find this contextual evidence to support it i oh (laughs) i'm eating good right now okay so do you want to give me some thoughts real quick before i read some comments initial thoughts initial thoughts are that i i don't know how i want to play this it's plaw it's I think it's interesting that we have this origin story. We don't get many origin stories for cartoon characters and that it's in the form of a song that is also coincidentally or not used for the remainder of the existence of the Looney Tunes. Maybe there's a reason. Maybe it means much more than we think it does because that Mm -hmm. it is used so much and that it was featured and we know the words. I don't know. There might be, this might be, have some weight to it yeah i mean it's to me it's it's really sad (laughs) but honestly it would explain a lot with daffy's Mm -hmm. character because like i'm trying to think of all the looney tunes and i mean they're looney tunes that's why they have that name yeah and they all have their quirks right but Mm -hmm. from what i can think he is the only one that really seems like a loon especially like the Jump the way up he and can down just go, and, and, yeah, yeah, bounce yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone else has any kind of, devil. Well, he's but he's like crazy. an animal. Yeah, that's true. Well, so is Daffy Duck. <laughs> he's an animal. <laughs> he's more of an animal. He's more like, you know, that basic instinct animal 
what was it they called it in Zootopia when they're being I, primal? I know, maybe it's I know, their primal maybe, brain. He has more of a primal brain. Daffy Duck is a little. I mean, he is intelligent. Op talked about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's pretty. He's a pretty smart fellow. Mm. Well, if you if you think about it, all of the characters have some sort of thing that makes them a little crazy and all of them have some sort of thing that kind of gives them a little bit of a speech impediment mm-hmm. in one way or another, like porky pig stutters, foghorn leghorn. Mm-hmm. He has to He's, have a long he stutters too, doesn't he? and he stutters a little bit. Yeah. Sylvester has a lisp. Yeah. And Daffy Tweety bird. Tweety, Tweety can't has say a his R's. Yeah. Yeah. Bugs Bunny <laughs> doesn't have one, right? He has, I mean, he has as an accent. Has, yeah. That's about it. Yeah. Most okay. of them do. Not all of them, but yeah. Go, let's continue. Okay. Why don't we go on to some comments? This might yeah. stir up some more for us. So Acrobatic Dot1634 said, One could point out the mean and greedy Daffy, but even this one has a certain, quote, strange air about him, and brain damage can also lead to increased aggression. So mm-hmm. true. Frontal lobe trauma leads to that next is first of all chow dare <laughs> sorry chow op dare. The, or this commenter is chow dare but i just wanted to say chow dare i don't know what this version of daffy would be called but my quote default version of daffy was usually surly competitive and confrontational think duck season rabbit season attitude yeah. like the scene we acted mm-hmm. out this was the version that would appear in 99% of the Daffy episodes seen in that compilation show that apparently changes its name from time to time. I think they're talking about when it goes back and forth between Merry Melodies and Looney Tunes. Yeah. Um, in the 90s, it was called the Bugs, Bunny, and Tweety show and was mainly filled with shorts from the 50s and 60s. I wonder if this version had any brain damage. I remember it being very jarring to me seeing how he was represented in Who Framed Roger Rabbit because the version seen there was the, quote, bounce away and hoot version. <laughs> I guess this would be Daffy Prime <laughs> since he was the original wacky version that you're talking about. <laughs> so is, is Chowder essentially saying that there are variants of Daffy now? That's what it sounds Maybe. like. Maybe. There's multiversal um, yes. versions. Mm-hmm. I love that. <laughs> Okay, and so OP comes back and and is going to respond to all these comments here of, I feel it's important to point out that brain damage doesn't come in just one form. Brain damage is just damage to the brain. Brain damage can lead to all sorts of neurological disorders, memory issues, loss of mm-hmm. cognitive function, seizures, death, etc. It's not out of the realm of possibility for someone to receive head trauma and come out of it with rage slash jealousy issues that they didn't have before. For example... Truth be told, I consider the version of Daffy from the 40s through the 60s to be as screwy as the others, just in more subtle ways. He's unhinged, hot-headed, mm-hmm. narcissistic, and regularly shows signs of borderline personality disorder. And nowhere is this made more clear than in the short where Daffy is tormented by the animator. That's exactly what I was thinking when he started when I started reading this paragraph. When he's mm-hmm. on a blank page and then He'll get drawn it, like he has a flower so, head so at one point. And yes, yep. Daffy's tormented by the animator to the point of being erased, leaving only his voice. No matter how far the animator pushed him, Daffy remained distinctly Daffy. The animator can take away everything except his identity. So we've got a little timeline here. 30s, completely loony. 40 to 60s, 40s to 60s, unhinged rage issues. And then the Looney Tunes show attention and memory problems. It's also important to note that the characters each evolved. Bugs wasn't always the cool and confident embodiment of karma that he is. Sometimes he was sadistic and went out of his way to screw with people who did nothing to him. Audiences didn't like it, so the Schlesinger team adapted. Likewise, when flushing out Daffy, he may have started out angry and competitive after the redesign, but as the years go by, he gets more and more unhinged. The thing with Daffy is that they wanted his craziness to be subtle and believable, like someone you might actually find in the wild. <laughs> what? Okay, that's how, he, that's how he goes from hoot hoot to jealous rage machine to unhinged to that one friend with the attention span of a goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> I love that sentence. Oh, okay. Man. 
All of these yes. iterations have one thing in common. They're dysfunctional, like the Hoot Hoot incarnation, or barely functional, like the Looney Tunes show incarnation. Oh my gosh. That's the best sentence I think I've ever read in a theory or even in a comment. <laughs> From yep. Hoot Hoot to Jealous Strange <laughs> Machine to Unhinged <laughs> to that one friend with the attention span of a goldfish. That's excellent. <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. Does that, does that help fuel mm. any feelings towards ratings for you guys mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think it i think it's helped me kind of solidify and lock down what i'm gonna do yeah I'll i start. like that oh can i i like that this guy did give us a timeline and yeah. i think it's possible maybe that if you do have an injury it develops changes you over time you know how your body yes. might adjust to it so that's just something else to think about as well I yeah. think that's true that with some traumatic brain injuries, I mean, so for like in the professional sports world, it's a progression. You can get the mm -hmm. injury at a certain point in time. It might not start, start showing signs until like 20 years later, and then it progressively increases. Same thing with things like right. Tourette's. I've recently learned that you can develop Tourette's. And then it can go away yeah. and resolve on its own, or it can just go away for a little while and it can go back and forth. So yes, all of these behaviors, I mean, the brain is just still such an enigma to us that, yeah, these things can come and go. Okay. So Michael, do you want to start us out with ratings on this one? Uh, sure. Um, I think I am going to rate this one as plausible just with all the evidence provided it, it just makes sense to me. I don't think it's quite to the genius level. I don't know if I prefer this to actual canon, but like this, I, I could see where, where a lot of people could think that this is actually the truth. So yeah, I'm giving it a straight plausible. Okay. Mm. Mike or turn. Spencer. Um, I agree that I believe this is plausible. The reason why I'm not going for genius is because ultimately um, I don't know if Cartoon Looney Tunes need like a backstory, an origin story for why they are the way they are. Yeah. But I think that if we want to say that this is the same Daffy from the 30s, it's a great explanation. It is the Daffy that. from the 30s. This um, is from 1938. I know that's what I'm saying. If we're going to say that that's just, that the one we see today and throughout time oh, is the okay. same one. They're all like the they same like one. Reboot him or something. All the same one. Yeah. yeah. I think this Daffy is a great Prime. way to see that, that he was in a merry-go-round <laughs> accident, which mm -hmm. is as tragic as they come. And <laughs> he hurts his head. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, we have decades of entertainment for it. Now, see, I was waiting yes, for one of you I, to bring up all of the injury that he endures before our eyes ooh, over those decades. Well, you, you and why that, that didn't you have any kind it. of... No, because mm -hmm. I'm going to say that this is genius, and I like it the or way it Sylvester, is. Or <laughs> Sylvester, like getting the big it's... bump on their head going up. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. And so I think it's genius, particularly if you can take a specific thing from an actual episode as your evidence. And this is that's pretty solid evidence mm -hmm. to me. And the way they posited that, I think that was great writing as far as OP putting out their theory. So I, I like it. Can I change I think my it rating? Fits. I want to say it's so genius I'm, too. I'm going genius. Yes, you can definitely say it's a genius, okay. Spencer. Okay. All right. Because change the there's record, nothing. He's genius. Yeah, I, I'm changing it to genius because there's nothing that really refutes it because there's no way you really can. It's not like there's an episode where he says, you know what? I'm just the way that I am. I never had brain damage when I was younger. So it's a great explanation <laughs> that never gets disproven. So sure, genius. This is he is the way he he had a merry-go-round accident, and I go. feel really sorry for his horse friend that didn't make it. Oh, the horse with the lavender eyes. So this is the time of the show where we want to take a serious moment to reach out to anyone who knows any merry-go-round accident victims. Please feel free to call one eight hundred Brain Dead, and you'll get the support that you need. <laughs> well uh laura spencer michael guys it's just about time to bring this episode to a close but before we do i've got to tell you so when i was browsing reddit 
looking for endgame stuff, I came across this fascinating detail that I just shared, figured I had to share. Since it's relevant. Michael's face looks so um, excited right now. <laughs> so um This, this is gonna user, be wonderful and enlightening. Oh no it is. <laughs> and you're gonna uh, love user it. Your torrent torrent one four one pointed out that in Avengers Endgame twenty nineteen Tony has more of bearded facial hair approach than Howard, who sports a full mustache. This is a stark contrast. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Oh. <laughs> it's so dumb, but it's great. Uh, that is genius. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, That's that one, one gets a genius rating for me. <laughs> good job, Torrent One Four One. Yeah, you got a you got a genius on that one. All right. Well, on that note, this has been Fan Theory Queries. I'm Laura. I'm Michael. And I'm Spencer. Join us next time as we analyze more fan theories and ask queries such as: In the '90s sitcom Family Matters, who pays for the damage that Steve Urkel causes to the Winslows' house? Hint: It's not Waldo Faldo or Little Richard. 